0: Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome uh, to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, my guest this afternoon, Jeff Sweat from um, the Infamous, famous um, PR shop um, in Southern California, Southern Southern California, Los Angeles to be precise. We have we haven't zeroed in on a precise location <laughs> within the giant metropolis, um, but they will all will be revealed. Jeff, welcome.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, whereabouts in the giant metropolis of uh, City of Angels are you?
1: Uh, I'm in uh, in Los Feliz, or I guess at Los Feliz, as Anyone else in the world would say it, but it's an old LA name. So Los Feliz, um, right below the observatory. So it's it's not a horrible place to be Is that, is that be kind
0: of like a trendy neighborhood?
1: It's uh yeah, it is. It's uh it when I first got here, my house was actually had previously been a halfway house for uh, recovering drug addicts, and so it was a much different neighborhood uh, twenty years ago it's uh, certainly come up a long way since then but it's got these great old hollywood houses you know these big mansions that are certainly not on my block but uh pretty nice to walk by
0: um how far how long does it take to drive to santa monica in in, 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 a, in a good day
1: well now it's actually about 30 minutes which is exactly what it <laughs> should have been uh, uh normally though i would say about an hour and 15 to an hour 30. You know, okay. and as as you know, in LA, we always measure everything by distances by time, as opposed by miles,
0: which is triangulated at the precise time of day. And uh, so <laughs> exactly. back, let's go into modeling. Um, so, Jeff, do you want to do you want to tell us? Do, do you want to take us on a quick tour of your resume in terms of well, what got you to where you are? Right now. Yeah,
1: you know it's funny. I, I feel like if I had tried to chart a path to where I am right now, it never would have made it. It was it was definitely a very circuitous route. Uh, I started out as a, as a journalist and with the intent of eventually becoming uh, a novelist. And um, started was a tech journalist. Did really well there. Um, covered the dot com boom and uh, decided to leave around that time. Um, not because of the dot com bust, although that certainly didn't help, but because I wanted to focus a little more time on on the creative side of things. And as a journalist, you're uh, Spending a lot of time writing, but not you, you have almost nothing left in the tank to do anything else. At the end of the day, it's probably the one industry that I feel like is more exhausting than advertising. So I went into marketing uh, for a while. I was the head of content marketing at Yahoo for advertisers and agencies. And that's how I became familiar with this world, which had always fascinated me. And then went to Deutsch as their in-house PR person and really enjoyed that. Went to 72 and Sunny. And I decided that I was probably close enough to the advertising world at that point that I could stand to get away just a little bit. So I, I, um, so I, formed my own company. At the time, we were called Mr. Sweat. Uh, we re- renamed ourselves Sweat & Co. this year. Uh, and our intent was to be able to offer PR for, for people who couldn't uh, afford to fire, hire a full-time person like like I had at uh, Deutsch or 72 cool. & Sunny.
0: So just go back going back to your journalism days, w- were you writing freelance or were you with a were you
1: assigned in publication um, I was uh, with a publication which at the time was the top business uh, technology publication uh, called information week um, it was you know kind of the thing that the CIOs read and it was actually kind of cool because you could write about tech but in a very strategic way and that approach is still kind of stuck with me as I you know as I do PR um, do other things that set up, you know that, that really focus on trying to um, boil down complicated topics into something that can, everybody can understand at, at, at sort of a base level.
0: Yeah, that, that, those were in the days before the cloud.
1: Exactly, yeah, and I think like, you know, the funny thing was that I always say it was the rare, it was the last golden age of journalism in that um, we the, we were, because of the dot-com boom, we were printing a lot of pages. I mean, at one point we were doing something like 200 pages a week in a, in a trade publication. Um, so, you know, vanity fair sized uh, issues um, uh, and um, and getting paid well because no one understood technology, you know, and, uh, it, you know, of course, now um, uh, that the opposite is true uh, where there is if there's a print publication at all, it's very thin and uh, and people are, are not able to pay much at all. So it was a good time to be there. It was also a great time to leave.
0: So, what got you into the the content marketing side of, of Yahoo? How did that work out?
1: It's funny. Uh, so, I had actually t- taken an interim job at uh, at a um, IT services firm, uh, and really, essentially, was a was a writer and editor for their website. And this was early days of of content, so that really meant like the occasional article. We launched a blog at the very tail end of it, and that. Because that that the point that was just kind of what it was, uh, and uh, oddly enough, I my brother had taken a job at Yahoo and worked on the same floor as their marketing team and heard about a, a job posting. And at that point, uh, I had taken a really really brief stint at a at a, a utility Edison here in um, in uh, California, and hated it. It was definitely not my culture. It was a So it took so three months in, I found about this job at Yahoo and I took the job um, and just kind of walked out the door. It was one of those you get. I feel like you get like one, you know, take this job and shove it moment in your uh, career. And that one was it. And so you know, it's not even on my resume. And and the joke is that um, I spent they spent more time recruiting me than I actually spent working at the company. You know, I think they recruited me for like five months because they couldn't decide, you know, whether whether hire or not. And then I was there for three months, and that was it. So,
0: so what's going on at Yahoo? When because Yahoo's a, a a tech brand with a with a checkered and interesting past.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting is we got there um, right at the time when they started to go downhill, and that was a, such a bummer. Uh, when I got there, there was a legitimate feeling like. We're, we're gonna be able to catch Google. Um, they had some sort of, a, you know, some momentum and it just started, started to tank. Um, I happened to work in the advertising products, you know, the advertising group and, you know, it took forever to get their update to their paid search, um, all these kinds of things. And so uh, I loved the people and I loved the culture. And I would say if you talk to anyone who works there, they would say that it was a very warm, welcoming c- culture. Uh, but what, but it was really dispiriting because we were having layoffs every, every eight months or so, uh, for the four and a half, five years I was there. And, uh, you know, to the point where, um, I initially, the first time I, first year I was there, I had a lunch group of about eight or 10 people that we would typically hang out with. Um, one of them was my brother and, uh, two and a half years later, they were all gone except for me. And wow. so it was, it was sort of, I mean, I guess I was grateful that I was still there, uh, but it just, you know, this is the kind of things that sort of chip away at your soul uh, and and make it very difficult to work there. Um, but, you know, I stayed there for a long time because, you know, you always have a little bit of optimism. You get the work we were actually doing was really cool. Uh, and, you know, uh, and it, w- it was hard to say goodbye to that crew of people. And to this day, we still get together every year for, you know, for parties, you know, there's a really strong diaspora of Yahoo people. Uh, and, um, we tend to work together, you know, time after time. In fact, actually, uh, my, one of my account directors on my team was my, uh, my very first employee at, uh, at, uh, Sweat & Co. So, so yeah, it's been, it's certainly been worthwhile.
0: So was that where you got your first exposure to agencies? where
1: you were Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've always been fascinated by agencies and this was even before mad men. It just sort of was a, just seemed like such an insane industry, uh, in a good way. And, um, but it, it was also the kind of thing where I didn't really feel like you could, I couldn't, you didn't feel like I could break in there. Um, you know, at, at this point in my career. And, you know, I think you tend to start young, get in and you kind of, go through the system. And so I didn't give it a serious thought. Uh, But when Deutsch called me up and asked me about this job, you know, I said, well, uh, you know, I've never actually been a PR person, right? And I said, yeah, but we think you can do it. Uh, And so, so um, it was, I think it was sort of a culmination of just this fascination. And, And the more I worked on the content marketing, you know, led the marketing efforts there at Yahoo, the more we got into the, the, you know, the world itself. You know, I met, frankly, like most of the people who ran, you know, huge agencies and holding companies around the world. So I felt like it kind of started to understand it at a very different level. Uh, and so going in as, as a PR person for a, an agency like, agency like Deutsch was just sort of a dream uh, break into the industry.
0: And um, Deutsch had his, Deutsche in LA had its pretty distinct culture. I talked to anyone who worked there and 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 they said it was it, you know it, it it was you could you definitely knew how it had a culture, it definitely had its own energy.
1: It did. It was a, an amazing place to work. Um they uh, you know and again to this day I looked at my Facebook friends, it's probably, you know, a hundred of my 1000 friends are from Deutsche, you know, so so we really became close. Uh, I think you know it's, it's you spend a lot of time in the trenches with people as you do in any agency, but I mean, they tried really hard to to hire nice people. You know, uh, I mean, we all were super competitive, but we generally were pretty decent to each other.
0: So, what was the, so you had this you, you had a fascination with the ad industry, and then you get a job inside. You, you spend a reasonable amount of time inside. What was uh, what were the confirmations, and and what were the surprises?
1: You know um i think what i loved about it and what what i had hoped to find was uh the creative energy uh i I was fascinated by all the people and all the ideas that that came from from um, from from advertising and and i also like i will say i've always loved ads like that was one of the things that i've always been fascinated by ads i've never Even when I have the ability to, I generally don't forward through them unless it's, you know, during the middle of the day, in which case you should always. But, um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, so I, I, so that part was confirmed. I think um, it was fascinating to see kind of the uh, I'm going to say youth culture because everybody there it was the first time I went from being the youngest in in my company to being one of the oldest. And it happened like literally overnight. Like I, I was one of the youngest people on my team at Yahoo. And then I went to Deutsch and I was one of the oldest people. And it was sort of, that was kind of a level set, but it was also really refreshing to kind of have that kind of energy and, and to sort of soak up new ideas, uh, things like that. So those are the things that I think that I, that I confirmed. I think other things that you know, and this is not specific to Deutsch or even Sony and Sunny, but it's something I've noticed elsewhere. Things that I there were things that I saw that that gave me pause. Uh, I mentioned the fact that everybody was really young. I, I noticed that um, that there were very few people of my age in the business. Uh, you know, at the agency, it was everybody was below thirty, and then you had a handful of leaders who were maybe say forty five and above, who were running the company. And, and there was no one in between. There were sort of n- no one with young children like I did. I was, uh, I think at 40 at the time. And so I called it the, di- you know, the disappearing generation. I, and, I, and I realized that one of the things, one of the issues that we, work, that we have to continue to be concerned about in our industry is that we are building it on the, the, the bodies of, of young people and we're kind of treating that as an expendable resource. Um, so I think, you know, the, the reality is, is at a certain point, people either go to less intense agencies where they don't have to work with that kind of stuff. They go brand side, they leave, you know, to, you know, altogether. So that was one thing that, that I think, you know, we continue to work on with our clients is, is that is that sort of, you know, the, the talent burn. Uh, the other thing that I think was interesting and, and as a communications person, this became this has become kind of one of my one of my missions is that because agencies identify so strongly with the clients that they serve? It's incredibly difficult to tell your own story. And uh, every agency I talk to always says to me, We're, "You know, they're kind of embarrassed. We're really bad at our own PR. You know, and you know, it's the cobblers, children, all that kind of stuff." And that's true. In fact, at one point I had a fake stat in my presentation slide, which said 99% of agencies suck at PR. Um, and which is, I would, again, would say probably true. Um, but it's really just the fact that you're so conditioned to tell your client story that you don't learn how to tell your own. And, and so what I've learned is that a good agency can tell their client story, but it's a great agency that learns to tell their own. If you look at any of the agencies that, um, that we care about in this industry that we would view as, you know, kind of iconic that have changed the industry. Uh, they've all been created with a pretty clear point of view that, that echoes through everything. Like, you know, if you look at Crispin Porter, you know, Steve, Crispin Porter Bogusky in the Alex Bogusky era, you knew exactly what they stood for, what they were about. You know, if you look at Wyden Kennedy, you see the kind of work they do and the, the way they talk about, um you know things the relationship with clients like you get a very clear sense so i think it's it's what i try to encourage when i talk to agencies is to be deliberate about your own story um to not just focus on who you're serving but who you represent all the time
0: yeah it's interesting yeah definitely true i mean um having worked in san francisco for a while um it was always interesting to kind of look at los angeles on a on a kind of base you know a regular basis to see kind of how the how we were competing and mm-hmm. um you know obviously the shire day tradition in loomed lodge um, but you know it did sort of wax and wane and mm-hmm. uh, i think when 72 came along um there seemed to be a market shift you know they they, they something had happened they'd managed to kind of like Work out that what was really interesting about Los Angeles was pop culture, mm-hmm. and and I was surprised that it took an agency so long to kind of like take hold of that, and and they they seem to do a really good job of of of, 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 of 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 leveraging that, and also just sort of they'd always seem to have some interesting stories. They'd mm-hmm. always there would always be like a new division or a new this or they doing mm-hmm. some
1: mono sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, and L.A. was, for a long time, was really the home of the automotive agency. You know, that was, that was kind of the identity.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know. Um, and, yeah. And shy, it was sort of an outlier in that sense in that it was, and they, but they did have a car account, but they were, you know, they were truly creatively driven. They had a really strong sense of like, who they were. And of course they were, fortunate enough to have had Apple as a client early on and to, you know, kind of crystallize in that thinking. But uh, yeah, it is interesting that I, I think for a while, um, you know, I think Deutsch uh, really helped kind of build on the creative legacy of Shiat. Of I think that they sort of, I think they helped it make, fr- it, turn it from a one agency town to a two agency town. Meaning that if you were moving from New York and you're considering LA, uh, and you're considering Shyatt, you were pinning all of your hopes on that move, on on doing well at Shiat. you know. And I think once you started to have other agencies coming in that were legit competitors that were creatively driven as well, uh, those were the, that was the moment when it turned from a Shyatt town or a car agency town into into I think one of the top agency hubs in the in the country. Um, and 72 and Sunny, I think, kind of came in as a, you know, even, I will say, even they were up up the street from from us at, at Deutsch, but for a long time, none of us knew anything about them. You know, they kind of quietly did their thing and all of a sudden they were everywhere. Um, but what I think 72 and Sunny did really well was, and, and this is kind of referring to my earlier point, is they had their origin story down pat. You know, they they said, you know, they, they would always say we formed this as a reaction to traditional agencies or traditional advertising. And that did sort of lean, you know, tw- towards a bias, um, towards towards entertainment and away from kind of more traditional ads. Um, I think the, you know, none of the guys who started it were, were LA natives. And so I think they came in with that sort of, uh, um, yeah, I guess, uh, transplant uh, wonder at the, at, the, at the city of L.A. and all of its possibilities. And I think that makes a big difference, too. Um, but you're right in that they, they, they were really great at kind of creating their own news and their own stories. And, and I would argue, at least during the time I was there, I think we were better at creating um, a mythology about our work than maybe we were about creating great work itself um it's it 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 was you know we sort of leaned pretty heavily on that story um but it was but it but that was really instructive because um they really had thought through all of these details and most agencies don't ever give that a consideration and i, and I would say that is their work certainly drove them to prominence prominence but that that sort of uh focus on who they were i think is what has made them iconic
0: yeah um, I go back to Crispin for a second. Cause I think, I think they, they're sort of like, there's a lot of instruction, uh, learning that you can take from them. Um, you know, if, as you go back to journalism, um, you know, this idea of the idea must be press. you know, Alex saying, I, I want to see the press release.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The fact that they employed three PR in house, mm-hmm.
1: you
0: know, there was sort of this idea that, um, I remember Jeff Goodby saying, "Oh, they just do things that inserts that pull out of magazines." Right. So he couldn't really understand it, and and mm-hmm. but there was sort of an there was a it was a they had a contemporary understanding of media mm-hmm. that 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 impacted the work they did. They knew mm-hmm. how they knew the link between digital and traditional. They knew yeah. how they knew how you could. Um, have a two-way conversation in digital. That was the power of it. They knew the power of stunts to sort of break mm-hmm. through, and get into news media. Um, so they really, I think they were really um, the founders of that. And, and yeah. the, the, the idea of PR, um, you know, with a shrinking trade press,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, you know, you needed to be more expansive about how you thought about PR
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that actually your ideas needed to be a PRable As Yeah, there was a symbiotic relationship between the PR ability of your ideas and the PR ability of the agency.
1: I, I agree. And it's funny. We talk about that a lot with our clients about building PR really in at the beginning of the process. And for example, we typically speak to our clients, uh, typically a PR person is the last person to know about a project. So an a- agency will create something they, everyone's in love with it they bring it to the PR person and they say PR the shit out of this, which is probably like nine times times out of 10, that's the exact wording, you know, and then PR person is either is they're kind of like stuck with it and saying, okay, well either it's going to work or it's not going to work. And it's sort of on you to make it a hit. Whereas we talk to our clients really early on before they ever look at a client, look at uh, uh, before they even share it with their, to the, to their, with their client. And we, we will, we weigh in and we say, okay, this great idea. What if we did this? What if we made these tweaks that people want to talk about it? And I think, you know, and I don't quite know the, se- the kind of sequence of when Crispin was doing this kind of stuff, but it dovetailed perfectly with, with you know, the rise of, of social media and, you know, digital media. Um, and I think it, what it reflected, and I think what any smart agency now does, hopefully, is make sure that there's talk value built into everything you do um, you know it's it's and and you know it's something that needs to be built into the product versus something that gets tacked on at the end um, because media you know I mean media landscapes are harder to navigate you know budgets are going down all those kinds of things so if you can build that in then um, you know not only does that help the client but it helps the agency.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 become sort
1: of a critical a critical piece. Um, well, it's fun. one thing I would say on that is that um, sort of so you know Bogusky asked you know what's the headline, what's the press release? Uh, the question I have, and this is sort of the big moment of truth for for teams, uh, is would you share this on your own social media if you weren't getting paid to do it? and the reality is if you look around at what you share on your channels the work work of other brands or other agencies um, it's a pretty high bar because you're everyone is staking their own personal cred on 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 that work so you're only going to share something that's really funny or surprising or the, you know the first of its kind um, because that says something about your brand so so we always ask that question would you share this if, if it wasn't your project? And, and it's usually the, the kind of the, the moment where people kind of really stop and consider it and start thinking about how they could make that, that project better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, re- I remember, um, you know, we worked on, I worked on a mini business for a long time and, and many we, we, we took over the business from Crispin. Mm-hmm. So we had a pretty high bar and and I, I always thought um hang on a second
1: you bet <laughs> um
0: yeah i, I always i always, it was it was interesting you know we we, we got our fair share of pr and mm-hmm. and you know, and and it and it's partly because there are certain brands that are PRable, and there are some brands that no one gives a damn about, and no one's going to write mm-hmm. about them. You'd have to send a rocket to the moon with your with your logo on it for anyone to yep. That's um, true. So yeah, Mini was a Mini was a darling for a long time, and and we could sort of you know we could sort of get stuff uh, in the news media, and, and we tried to be provok, you know, we tried to use that and be provocative. It was really how the brand launched.
1: Mm-hmm. But I remember I
0: remember the biggest PR coup we had. um, was we we created these billboards and they had these uh they were digital billboards before digital billboards really existed
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um i mean they were pretty hokey when you think of what you can do today um <laughs> but we sent out we sent out key fobs and um they, they they basically owners could program their own billboard oh amazing so we had some kind of back end like to make sure that no one was going to put swear words or anything up there.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um,
0: but we had wedding proposals, and we had people cheering for the Cubs, and we had all kinds of stuff going on. Um, but Good Morning America picked it up. Mm-hmm. They, ran, they ran a ten-minute segment on it. Wow. And 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 why they ran a ten-minute segment on it was because they thought it was dangerous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You, you know. You know what I mean. So it was like. Yeah. Uh, actually. If you'd gone to the client and said, "We got this idea. It's actually really dangerous. <laughs> um, we're going to do these billboards, and people can message them." Right. The idea never would have got sold. But right. the, way, the way the media operates, most of the time, they're not going to cover a commercial story because they realise that that's a there's a value there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you kind of have to, you know, you have to you have to be super clever. Um, yeah. To get to get beyond. I mean, obviously you know, the, the viral world, you know, has its own mm-hmm. legs too. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's not an easy game to play.
1: No, it's not. And, you know, it's funny. I think there is sort of a little bit of a, like I always think a little bit of caution in sort of chasing the virality, you know, and kind of chasing the hits. But one thing I found is that reporters may have, you know, maybe a more sophisticated view of advertising than the average consumer. But the reality is, if it makes a, a reporter interested, it is most likely going to make your audience interested as well. Like they're going to engage with it as well. There's, there's, I've seen very few moments where that where those two things do not overlap almost completely. Um, so there's, you know, so it's it's always I always say to people when I went to 72 and Sunny and I said we should be including this as a factor it does have peer value and they actually really resisted me on that they didn't like that um you know but i said look it's the it's the same thing like are you trying to reach your consumer use the press as a as a proxy for that if they like it chances are the consumers are going to like it too
0: yeah so we're in uh june of 2020 and um you know our landscape's been uh being uh, continually shocked, um, you know, by, by a slowdown, by the race issue that, that we're going through right now. Um, what are you, what are you, what are you seeing out there in, in Adland right now? Cause this is a, this is a, for a lot of people, this is a really tough time.
1: It is, you know, I would say um, we've, t- I've talked to, I don't know, at this point, probably close to a hundred agencies, you know, through my conversations with clients, with, through our uh, webinar series, uh, through all sorts of things, and I think some people are, are weathering it okay. It really kind of depends on the kind of client they have. Um, if they were in entertainment or they were in travel, then obviously it's brutal. Um, I've had others who've who've um, lost some, but gained in others. Uh, you know, my my uh, uh, one of my clients. Uh, has a, a movie chain which is not doing, you know, can't can't be open right now, but also has a rice manufacturer, you know. So so rice is doing. It turns out that end up being a really great client, and so I think you know it's a bit of a mix. But I would what I would say is that uh, it sent a lot of people reeling for 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 quite some time, um, and uh, I think what I've found is that people are starting to gain their equilibrium you know, they, uh, clients are coming back as clients start realizing that, um, maybe this, the situation is not as dire as it was. I I think a lot of times clients just stopped out of an abundance of caution, um, out of fear. Uh, and so those people have started to resume. Um, but the other thing I've seen, and the thing that is kind of the most heartening is I've really seen relationship uh, agencies change their relationship with brands. They have in a sense in essence they've leveled up you know i think a lot of in in the past agencies have been pretty comfortable with just sort of handling the execution of the marketing campaign making sure that the messaging gets out in the world um and not really talking to to brands at a strategic level and and what i saw during this time is that um Brands may or may not need a campaign at this time. They may not be doing out of home. They may not be doing TV or whatever it was they were doing before. They may not be advertising in sports events, um, and so they may not need an agency in the traditional sense. But they are always going to need someone to solve their problems. And so I've seen so I've seen agencies go to their clients with business. Solutions to business problems um, that may have that that are, have have no resemblance to, to to traditional advertising, and that's been, I think, remarkable because you know, as an industry, we've been looking over our shoulder for years at the consultants who are coming to our space, um, you know, with the purchase of Droga and um, you know all sorts of other kind of incursions, and the reason why those consultants have been cons- successful is because they're able to merge the business strategy with the marketing execution. And, and I think this is a moment, I believe, where agencies, if they're smart, can start to push back against that in a meaningful way.
0: A friend of mine once told me he, he was running a operation uh, in China, and he said that, that when American marketers came to the agency, they were always excited. Because mm-hmm. they thought they were going to learn something, because they didn't know uh, what was going on in China. Mm-hmm. And it was all fresh.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, whereas in the states, everyone's a you know with a certain number of years under their belt. There's a fair degree of, sort of jaded skepticism and cynicism. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so, so suddenly you need to be shaken up because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. So suddenly, suddenly that strategist you never really paid much attention to. Um, yeah. Is actually is informing you and, and bringing you some some thinking that. Um, can help shape your shape your brand and business uh, because yeah. you can't operate on autopilot really anymore.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I I think you know. So the other thing I've seen throughout all of this is is really um, just questioning assumptions about what makes an agency in the first place. You know, and I, and I think like two of the two or three of the things that and then related to what I mentioned earlier with some of the concerns I had when I came here um, was that you know was really about the burnout rate um you know i think what's happened overall is that the agencies i've seen have started to really understand that people can be productive um without having to put in 16 hour days you know um they can be productive um working from home which every agency i know resisted that you know because they felt like we always always had to be together Um, and so I think it's changing our attitudes to how work happens and how we collaborate. And, and I think, um, and honestly, every agency I've talked to says, yeah, we want to get to get back together and we miss each other. We we miss that part of the culture, but I've never heard anyone take a a hard line and say, Nope, we all have to be back in the office because I think everyone has recognized the value in, in, um, letting people kind of work on their own schedules and, 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 you know, kind of part of that is, is providing flexibility in people's lives. So, you know, I've talked to agency founders who said, you know, I've never learned so much about my agencies or about my employees. Um, uh, I like met who their kids, you know, they understand like all those kinds of things. And I feel like it humanizes the employees and, and the, and the management in a way that's really interesting. Uh, and I think it's, I believe is going to lead to some long-term sh- cultural shifts in in um, how we work. Just because I think no one's going to want to go back to the way it was.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think I think it, I think it's potentially pretty radical. I mean, if, if you can if you can hire someone who's in Kansas City and their agency's in Los Angeles, um, you know that's, that's 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 pretty pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, I but, also, I also, yeah. I also, think it, it, it's what does the agency become? And hopefully, it becomes a place that clients really want to come to because it's is it a showcase for technology. Is it an amazing mm-hmm. center for collaboration? Is mm-hmm. it you know you because you can do amazing collaborative things when you're there because it's designed that way. It, mm-hmm. it, you're only going to leave the home when when that's going to happen. So I, mm-hmm. I think I think it's going to be very interesting to see who kind of seizes the initiative there and yeah uh, and, and, and does something quite different because I think that will be very interesting to see how clients uh, respond and react to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the kind of themes that we, we talked about in our webinar series is, was um, uh, really the office as a tool, you know, it's not, it's not sort of just a place where everybody goes. I think it, it clearly is going to look different than where, it, what it is. And so it has going to have different function. So I think one of the questions is when do we come back to the office and in what form and what are the reasons why we would kind of all get together in one place, you know, um, how do we use it? So yeah. I think there's all sorts of interesting discussions happening.
0: Yeah. I mean, and then, the, and then the other, the other thing is, um, where, where are we going on this, uh, journey of hyperfragmentation as, as these big companies start shedding people, the points of view become increasingly narrow. You know, we're really in the pet business and we're about pet influencers. you know, <laughs> a pet influencer agency. I mean, does it, does it get, hyper focused um, you know and 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 what actually you know what happens there I mean because you, you've got this sort of yin and yang where you've got you know increasingly you've got clients who want to manage their rosters and they want to manage their time but mm-hmm. you've got business that's sort of fragmenting out of control and if yeah. you don't, and if you don't have someone who knows what the hell TikTok is is uh, and and intimately and 24/7 because the mm-hmm. TikTok Going to change their policies every 18 hours in terms of what an ad unit looks like. Um, you know, you, you're kind of not in that game. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be extremely interesting uh, to see um, with this next generation of agencies because we are going to witness a new generation being born mm-hmm. right now. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm sure you're seeing that.
1: I yeah, I think people. What I'm seeing a lot is people playing with the agency model. You know, and and and. And I think it's a good thing. I think um, one of the things that we've seen in, in quarantine is that um, a lot of fault lines have been exposed, things that we, we knew weren't working properly uh, in the industry, and that have but but at this point but we've never done anything about, but at this point it's it's become impossible to ignore them. And so I think people are, you know, playing with, with all sorts of variations on a on theme and sometimes completely new models, which I think is pretty fascinating. Um, and I think, yeah, again, I think it's good. I think it's going to make hopefully the big agencies um, Rethink theirs, try to get more agile. Um, uh, and I think it's going to offer new capabilities for for brands. Um, the one thing I think that's, a, that's an excellent question is, I, I assume there's gonna be fragmentation, but I also assume there's gonna be consolidation at, at some point because as a marketer, I'm not sure I would want to be like, you know, negotiating relationships with my, my pet influencer agency, which I still think is amazing, but I'm sure exists. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think like, you know, like it's, it, it's, it's, I, I suspect there's going to be an expansion and then probably contraction as we start figuring out which of those things really kind of we need and which of those things fit together you know, nicely.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that definitely, definitely seems to make sense. I mean, it, I think I think your point's an interesting one about what the quarantine has done. And, you know, this idea of understanding your talent better mm-hmm. is obviously one that, that's key. But I would have thought there's also, I mean, I've had some conversations with agency heads where there's been a certain amount of introspection. Um, there's, been, there's been the a bit of, yeah, there's been panic Mm-hmm. but also being a bit of time to sort of think about what is it we actually want to be and do mm-hmm. that's something seen.
1: yeah i have seen that um and i think that's honestly i think that's a gift to the industry um because we don't ever do that um one of the things i tell my you know when people come to me when they're just starting out as as an agency they want pure advice but they just kind of want advice in general and i always say you know what the best thing you can do right now is just take some time for yourself and figure out who it is you want to be because you will not the second someone comes in with a check you lose that opportunity you'll become whatever whatever it is that 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 client is whatever they need you know if they need in-store signage you're going to find a way to make in-store signage you know and, and there's this shows all these sorts of things like that that i think we never pause and, and coming back to my original point we never pause and ask what's our story what do we want it to be? Who do we want to work with? What do we want to do? What do we not want to do? And so, um, this moment, I think, is giving people a chance to think about that because they're not going to continue forward uh, as they are. You know, whoever comes, you know, whoever comes through this, you're you're not going to leave this the way you came in.
0: Yeah. So um, it, it seems it would seem. Ignorant if we weren't going to talk about the diversity issue and and, and particularly African Americans in in advertising. We've seen a lot happen in the last week. The mm-hmm. uh, six hundred um, signatures from uh, Black professionals in the business with, mm-hmm. with the, the twelve things that they're looking looking for. Um, it, it's pretty clear that you know a lot of agencies could get lost in the issue
1: mm-hmm. when
0: the solution is actually quite clear in terms of what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if this has come up in your conversations at all yet.
1: Uh, It has. I would say every agency I'm talking to is kind of looking at this with fresh eyes. And it's not that diversity hasn't been um, a much talked about um, issue, but I would say overall, it's been very tough as an industry to make progress here. You know, most agencies I know are pretty white you know uh and and with the uh with the exception of some of the multicultural agencies we work with and i feel like that's a real problem if uh, the only i used to i remember watching a 4A's event and tweeting something to the effect of if the only black people you have in your in your stage are on the diversity panel then we have have an issue as an industry um and i think that that's i think that's true and i, and I also say that we're not we're not immune from that. You know, we, we've tried, we tried, I think, you know, in the first round to have a lot of diversity on our panel, our panels for agencies under quarantine. Um, but that's something we're looking at. We're like, okay, well, you know, what, like, why, why are we immune from, from this? Like, why should we feel like it's okay to have, you know, an all white panel? Um, and so I think there's some, some really systemic issues that are, that are part of that. I remember a conversation with, um, I guess I can't, I'm not gonna name names, but with uh, what we, we talked about diversity uh, with, uh, with one of uh, the agencies I'd, I'd worked with in the past. Uh, and they said, well, we have diversity. I mean, we've got this uh, European office and there are people from like every country, you know, and, and I just thought, it's not the same thing. Having like three Dutch people, uh, you know, a guy from Luxembourg and someone from Spain, is not the same thing as having true diversity in 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 you know in America where racism is is such a perpetual part of this thing and where the industry has remained resolutely white. Um, so so it's something that I think has there's been a, a long learning curve on this. Um, and but I think there are some things that 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 having been involved fairly closely with some of these issues um, with agencies one of the things we consistently hear from the recruiters, and and I don't know the extent it's true, is is, is that they have they don't see all that many um, say books from from uh, black creatives, um, and part of that's because the schools that they're recruiting from are are majority white, you know. So then it starts going, okay. Well, then clearly we need to start figuring out how to to foster. Foster these, you know, kind of moments. Yeah, I was of- speaking.
0: To, I was speaking to an agency yesterday in Texas, um, who two years ago took it upon themselves to uh, start teaching at a black college, mm-hmm. and they, they they've ended up uh, with, you know, they say it's not good enough, but we've got two recruits out of it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I think people are lazy. Uh, I don't I don't think they put the hard work in, and uh, they expect they expect the same rules to kind of apply and they don't mm-hmm. really, you've got to work harder. And, mm-hmm. and then I think the other thing is if, if there aren't a lot of African Americans in the industry, that's not going to be an attractive thing for African Americans to come in. No, yeah, yeah, and
1: so there's the recruiting part of things then I think there is the just the cultural part of things. Um, so again, if it's majority white and you feel like the people there don't don't understand you that's challenging. Um, I, I remember talking to a very, somebody who was a fairly high profile hire at an agency that was mostly white. And she was really frustrated with how she was, you know, kind of faring there. Um, and one of the things was uh, that she said, I feel like I have to regulate my blackness when I'm here. You know, and I think, you know, most most people of color, you know, rec- kind of feel like they have to code switch when they're, when they're at work versus at home. Um, and that's, um, you know, and I think that's especially, a, a, I mean, it is a huge issue in agencies, you know, um, you know, there's a lack of comfort or maybe having someone to present to a client, you know, like all sorts of things like that. And it's, and it's, um, it's, that's going to take a pretty massive cultural shift on, on the part of agencies to sort of understand that, that, um, not just from my color point of view, but but from a cultural point of view, people shouldn't be fitting into the same boxes.
0: Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think we have, the thing that the agency needs, agency world needs to rise rise above is, um, is it could easily be seen as competitive sp- point scoring, where it's mm-hmm. that's only in the self interest of the agency. It's mm-hmm. not in the interest of the community. Whereas open sourcing and collaborating with your competitors could actually mm-hmm. be much more advantageous.
1: Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think so I, and i and i think there are there are um you know there are organizations throughout the industry that, that are focusing like even at the high school level about it you know like kind of um promoting um advertising um in, in schools that would would never have really you know uh wouldn't, where they'd never done so before and i think those are the ones that i'm most interested in is sort of the the things that that look at uh really kind of building the pipeline in general you know um and and something that i know for example in la um as an industry we've mostly been in, uh, in la we've mostly been importing our talent from other markets which mm-hmm. is crazy you know we're one of the biggest metropolises and in, in the, in the in... Big
0: creative metropolises in the world
1: exactly exactly but you know the reality is is that we just haven't been looking to our own people uh who are you know um, uh, well, heavily Latino here in LA, but you know, but I think some of the same issues apply. We're not looking at we're not looking at our own backyard, and we're not making it possible for people to to join us, and and that's that's a, that's a detriment to our industry. It's not just it's not just the fact that that um, that uh, that we're we're um, I mean, one fact is that we're less diverse, which is a, obviously a problem, but we're also making it more expensive in the long, like, you know, it's like we're just cutting ourselves off from a really vital um, source of talent. And I think, so I think it's, it's, uh, it, uh, e- even if agencies were act, acting in self-interest, there's a tremendous amount of, of, uh, benefit for, for, for investing, um, in, in, in diversity.
0: So just to, just a final to, to close, um, people who who may be listening to this who may be thinking of setting up their own agency in the next few months what would you be giving them as a few wise words of advice in terms of what they should be thinking about
1: you know i think the question i always ask people is um why are we necessary um if the answer is i don't want to work for you know ddb anymore um then that that is an an answer but i think if you can't reliably say why would someone turn to us versus anyone else then I think you need to keep on thinking you know and I'm not saying don't open your agency but I think that that you have to know that answer. Um, and then I think you know I think it's important to realize that the foundations of a great agency start from the beginning and I'm not just talking about the story. you know one of the things that we focus on, uh, you know we are a PR firm but we're also um, a consultancy and and the reason why we do so is that we think it's we think it's important not just to tell the story but to create a story worth telling and that involves focusing on your culture focusing on the type of clients you want to work with focusing on building your creativity in whatever form like if you're a performance marketer make sure you're really innovative in you know in 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 that if you're a media agency like, how do, you, how do you step outside of the norms of, of uh, society? If you're, you know, certainly if you're a creative agency, how do you make sure that you're getting those, those, those big swings to go after something interesting, whether it's pro bono work or, or whatever? So I think, again, I think too often agencies tend to accept what is given to them versus building what they want to, to become. And I think that's, that's a fundamental shift. Like, if you're, if you're starting an agency right now, um, think of what you're going to be in 10 years, you know, you know, think about what it would take to make you legendary. And I think start building out those kinds of things.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Um, and really appreciate it. It was great. Great. Uh, always, always love doing this kind of stuff.
0: your host Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.